The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today we radiate growth with Dr. John Demartini, human behavioral specialist who is featured in the film How Thoughts Become Things. You've heard recently from Doug Vermeeren on this this podcast who is the director of that film and now it's a book that is available. So welcome Dr. Demartini. I'm so glad to have you today. Thank you for having me. You do so many things. I mean, human behavioral specialist is, I feel like if we have to say something, we'll use that. <laughs> You're so much more than that. You offer so much more than that. You've got some some special programs, some, some signature programs that you do as well. Um, what do you consider the is the heart of what you do? Since 1972... I've had a dream to learn as much as I can, research as much as I can on anything that will maximize human awareness and potential. Anything that develops consciousness and makes more self-mastery and contribution. So I know that sounds vague, but uh, that's really what it is. So anything, I, I've been blessed to be able to work in uh, in the general field of human behavior, but we help people um, wake up creativity and innovation and genius when it comes to corporations or innovations or technologies. We help people in business development. We help people in financial um, management, uh, family and relationship, communication management, uh, social leadership management. We are involved in, in overall well-being and physical self-discipline mass man- management of your own physical well-being. And being inspired, how to how to live by priority and be inspired and do some mission on the planet. So it's taken me into many areas. I've gotten to speak to governments, corporates, 
um, sports teams, educational institutions, you name it, I've been there. And it's just inspiring. I, I've been doing it 49 years. So that's what that's I love doing. Well, you must be... <laughs> You must be very good at it by now because you've been in it for such a long time. And I know that you are truly one of the top names in growth and inspiration and consciousness even. Um, But how did you decide that you wanted this to be your mission? Well, it's a, I was born with uh, some learning disabilities and, um, I ended up dropping out of school. I was a street kid as a young teenager and lived on the streets till I was 18, almost 18. And um, decided that the only thing I was pretty good at is standing on a surfboard. So I became a surfer (laughs) and I was in Texas and Texas wasn't the surf capital. So I hitchhiked to California when I was 14 and down into Mexico surfing and then 15 I made over to the north shore and I lived on the north shore where the big waves were right and I rode big waves and then I nearly died at 17 almost 18 and uh, in the recovery of that I was led to a little health food store and then eventually this little yoga class and there I met a gentleman named Paul C. Bragg who one night in one hour inspired me to do something more with my life And that was the first night I ever thought that maybe I could overcome my learning problems and learn how to read and speak properly because I had uh, speaking problems. I had a speech impediment as a child and I couldn't read. I didn't read until I was 18. And then um, so I I decided to try to go back and learn how to do it. I took a GED, which is a high school equivalency test, and miraculously got through that and tried to go back to school. And it was a slow process. I had to learn to read dictionaries and proper spelling and pronunciation. We really worked on it. We memorized 30 words a day until my vocabulary was strong enough to start to comprehend some things. And I went on to um, finish schooling eventually and then go on for almost 10 years of college and uh, went on to be involved in human behavior and healthcare and anything to do with biology and psychology and human behavior and health and philosophy, I was fascinated by it. And so I, I, and then I started teaching. I was amazing. I, any, anybody would listen to me. I was so grateful. I thought anybody would hear me, you know, that's like, that's, that's gotta be something, but I wanted to learn and whatever I learned, I wanted to share. And I guess I've never stopped doing that. I, I still love doing that every single day. I do it every single day, seven days a week. I'm doing some sort of a, interview, presentation, webinar, keynote speech, conference or something. I I love researching, learning and sharing. And I've been doing it all these years. Right. That's quite a long time. So have you ever gone back to talk to those who believed you couldn't do anything? Well, my first grade teacher, I had to wear a a dunce cap when I was six years old, seven. I didn't realize that was. They they had dunce caps in those days. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And um, that was in 1960. And and my teacher said, look, she she had my parents come to the school and said, I'm afraid your son's never going to be able to read or write. Not going to communicate effectively. He's not going to probably go very far amount too much. Put him into sports because he can stand up and he can run real well. 
And I was born with a, with a deformed arm and leg. And so I had to wear braces till I was four. When I got out of them, all I wanted to do is run. So the teacher was right. I wanted to run. I wanted to sew that I could run straight. And so I was good at running. I was good at balance. And I, and surfing became my thing. I started surfing when I was nine. Oh and I figured out somehow I stood up on a board the very first time I ever went out in the water. And I just had a knack for that. And so that wasn't academics. That was my thing. It was standing on a surfboard. And it wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't read anything. I just looked at pictures. I could look at pictures of surf and uh, pictures of pretty girls. I was pretty good at that. <laughs> but, but words weren't my thing and, until I turned, you know, 18 years old. And then I, I took off. I, I mean, I started memorizing dictionaries, memorizing encyclopedias. I read eight complete sets of encyclopedias once I learned how to read. And I never stopped reading. I've been reading, I've read over 30,500 books now. And I just read, 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 learn and learn and learn. And I try to share as much as I can. And lo and behold, people started asking me for help. And my teaching career started by the time I was eight, before I was even finished my 18th year, I was, I was teaching. And I started out with one student and two students and three students and 15 students. And by the time I was in the University of Houston, I'd have 100 to 150 students every day under the trees with a, a discussion on various topics or in the library or in the, in the cafeteria if it rained. And I just never stopped. I started teaching every single day. And I've been doing it ever since. And I still do it to this day. You do. Yeah, you absolutely do. And I was first aware of you through Stephen Sanders, who's a very dear friend of mine and who had taken one of your programs and just was so impressed. And I, but and then your name keeps popping up <laughs> almost everywhere since then, which is really fun. I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, I know that guy. I've heard of him. Um, and so <clears throat> what did you first start teaching when you sat under the tree at the University of Houston. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me share a funny story. I was taking yoga because the, the night I met Paul Bragg, the guy that inspired me, I was it was at a yoga class. So I started doing yoga when I was just not even 18. And um, so I was doing it just for myself, just because I thought it would help me in my health and help me focus and Meditation, he, he told me meditation could be helpful in centering yourself. Mm -hmm. And I had this 375-pound Afro-American woman come up to me and ask me if she could learn yoga from me. And I thought, hell yeah. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> Anybody that would like to learn from me, why not? And That's I looked good. at her and she was a big girl. And I was like, going, I don't know if you can do yoga, but I'll do what I can. Right. And that was my first student. And then, uh, then I had a, a Persian man want me to teach him meditation. And then I, I had some kids ask me to tutor him on algebra because I was learning algebra. And I was more diligent than the, a lot of students were just taking classes for, for granted. I wanted to learn. And so when I was studying, I really was focused and I wanted to learn. And um, so that became something I taught. Almost every class that I was taking, I ended up giving tutoring uh, before test because people were wanting to learn. By the time I was at the University of Houston, it, it started out as just people asking me questions. They would see me doing yoga in the under the trees, and they would be curious about it. Who's this meditative guy that's doing yoga? And they would come up and ask questions, and it would start on 
philosophy, yoga, health. And then it got deeper as my brain was getting, you know, broadened by, by my studies. Uh, it seemed like I was attracting people that would ask questions based on whatever I was studying. It was like these synchronicities were happening. Right. And then we'd have right. sometimes it would swell up. We'd have 100, 150 people a day under the trees. And sometimes it swelled like 400 people. So we have these discussions that would go on for until I had to go to the next class. And it would be varied. It would, I don't know where it would go. You never know what the questions would be. It could be topical questions. And I would tell them, I don't know, but I'll find out by tomorrow. And it became just a thing where people didn't even care what it was. It was just whatever we would have great discussions and I would guess I was entertaining and inter inspiring to them because yeah. I really wanted to learn and I wanted to make sure I shared something that was meaningful. And to this day, I, I got people, I've spoken now in 155 countries and um, I've got students in every country around the world today. We've got students every single country now. And so I've been blessed. I've spread across the world. Yeah. And when you first started, though, I mean, coming from a background of having braces on your arm and leg, speech impediment, speech deficiency, reading deficiency, learning, people telling you you had a learning deficiency, where did you have the, the courage, the confidence to say, yes, I can teach others? Well, I just wanted to learn first. Right. And then what happened is, I was focused on that. I wasn't really focused yet on teaching. But when people started asking me, I guess what happened is they'd see me in school and they would see me doing yoga and they, they're intrigued or they'd see me doing meditation. And where I was, no one was doing that. So that was kind of an odd thing in 1970s, you know, early 70s. And, and then by the time I was getting along around the, you know, after a year, I was learning 30 words a day in vocabulary. And so by the end of the year, that's a thousand extra words. And the end of two years, that's 2000 words. But then I was also look, reading encyclopedias. Any word I didn't know, I would look it up and study it and memorize it. And I was growing my vocabulary. And all of a sudden, from the bottom of the class, the first time I ever took a test, I got a 27. And um, from the bottom of the class, I rose to the top. And people then started thinking, this guy's pretty dedicated student, you know, maybe we ought to hang out with him and learn from him. And they'd ask questions and it just, it was spontaneous. It wasn't like, okay, I'm now going to teach. But then by the time I went to a professional school, I started formalizing courses, cl classes. I would get up in more in the morning at two o'clock. I do meditation and yoga till two 30. I would then speed read. Cause by then I was speed reading. I learned how to speed read after a while. And, um, from not knowing how to read to eventually excelling at it. And then I would read four to seven books sometimes in the morning by 6.30, from 2.30 to 6.30. And then I would, that night I would teach on whatever I read. And people didn't didn't care what it was, they came. And we'd have people and they we charged $20. And I, I made $100,000 doing classes in my apartment, packed in a little apartment like sardines, 25, 30 people. In a, in a one bedroom apartment in a, in a little bitty runny, rundown apartment complex. Yeah. And um, I, yeah. I did every night. People came and I and it just kept growing. Then we started doing them in health food stores and in local places. And then I started doing tutoring for the classes. So whenever before a test, I'd give a tutoring because I had the best notes. I, I created a shorthand system. 
And then the students would gather instead of cramming, they would just come and I would do a review. And I'm the one that got the benefit out of it because teaching it, you learn it most. So I ended up in the top grades. I graduated at the very top of the school and uh, I got to teach and get paid. So I was winning and they were winning. So it was a, it was inspiring. It was one of the most inspiring things that I get to do is share ideas that help people do whatever it is that they want to do in life. That's why I love doing that. And I don't, people go, what exactly do you do? Because I'd be, I, I've, I've spoken to the governments in different countries mm-hmm. on change management, on economics and all different topics and, um, or on leadership or something. And people always want to put you in a pigeon and say, well, you're, you're a leadership conference person or you're this. I'm human behavior guy. That's the best way to summarize it. I study anything that allows human beings to maximize their human potential. I don't care what it is. Physics, chemistry, mathematics, anything that will allow a human being to maximize themselves, I'm in, I'm in on it. And I, I guess I've got a repertoire of information that's now more intriguing. So I, I'll do, today I have five podcasts and a presentation and two countries. So I, I keep busy doing what I love doing. You're so truly, truly blessed. That is amazing. Um, and you, your doctorate is in um, is chiropractic, or doctor. I, I was a, I, I when I went, I was pre med in. By the time I was in University of Houston, I went. I was pre med, sure. And I was in the honor society by then. So this is just two and a half years later. I'm now at the top. And this this uh, teacher, Doctor Kaminsky, said, "Well, you know, John." You've got the top grades. You can go to anywhere in the world. Where are you going to? Where do you plan to go? And I said, I'm going to chiropractic. And she said, What? She was. She was like, What? And I said, I said, I said because I don't believe there's an excess of drugs. I don't believe there's a deficiency of of organs, um, or a deficiency of drugs and an excess of organs. I believe that we have a power inside our body to bring healing if we yes. if we live wisely and eat wisely and 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 learn how to master our minds and live by priority and you know be be intelligent about our life and i was more interested in trying to educate people to give their power back instead of them dependent on something outside external you know there was two schools of healing the nidian school and the cone school in ancient greece one was the idea that there was all outside you know outside things out there caused your problem and outside things saved your problem and then there's another school that was, it's an internal job. Your perception, decisions, and actions determine your reality. And that you could change your perception, decisions, actions, and change your physiology. I was more interested in that. And that, and chiropractic was the only one that had the philosophical view of that. So I went on there, and I'm so glad I did, because that was a, an amazing journey, being a doctor there. And I went on to medical school and chiropractic college at the same time, I also did dentistry at the time and did astronomy at the time. So I was doing a lot of things at the same time, you know, studying. And I just, I'm very grateful I did that because the philosophy of that was so meaningful to me. I still believe that's a very important philosophy today because I really believe that we have a power inside us to do things that most people don't honor and don't utilize. And that's what I love doing. I love helping people give their power back. Well, in this, this film, How Thoughts Become Things, encapsulates that um and now it's a book um you know the same title the same information in it but now in a a different format um and so it was really they call it the secret beyond the secret or secret behind the secret but it's all the same thing 
And as you were studying all of these different astronomy, medicine, dentistry, chiropractic, um, everything's connected anyway. And when we get to the heart of it and explode the heart of it, then everything else te- seems to radiate from that. So why not? Well, so, well mm-hmm. we, have, we have power. We have amazing power to do amazing things. And, it, you know, some people give themselves a power. I always say if you don't empower your life, any area of your life you don't empower, people are going to overpower you. If you don't empower yourself intellectually, you're going to be told what to think. If you don't empower yourself in business, you'll be told what to do. You don't empower yourself financially, you'll be told what you're worth. You don't empower yourself in relationships, you'll be doing honeydew stuff around the house. If you don't empower yourself in society, you'll be having misinformation and propaganda that runs your life. You don't empower yourself physically, you'll be told what drugs to take and what organs to remove. And if you don't empower yourself spiritually, you'll probably be living an antiquated, you know, maybe a Ptolemaic model of geocentricity. So the reality is that you, you're here to empower your life. And education, true education, is awakening inside you the creativity of contribution and service that's deeply meaningful, that comes from the heart, that you want to contribute. And um, doing it in a sustainable, fair exchange way where you're compensated so you're prosperously able to be fulfilled doing what you love, exemplifying what's possible as human beings. And so I'm a, I'm a firm believer in helping people learn and strategize how to run their life in such a way that allows them to go and do something they absolutely love to do. So they don't have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days. Thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends. They have a, a life that they're inspired to do where they can't wait to get up in the morning and be of service. So people can't wait to get the service. And they do it in a way where there's prosperity for them. And so How Thoughts Become Things, the movie, is a magnificent summary of the principles that allow people to take command and mastery of their life. And what your, you know, your innermost dominant thought becomes your outermost tangible reality. And your innermost dominant thought is an expression of what you value most. And if you are congruent and know what you really truly value and what that one thing is that you want to commit and call, you're calling in, you will do extraordinary things and shine, not shrink. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very much involved in, in taking command of your thoughts, your vision, what you say to yourself, what you feel. And that's exactly what Paul Bragg said to me when I was 17 years old. He said that, you know, you, what you say to yourself, what you see for yourself, what you think about yourself, what, how you feel about yourself, the actions you take towards the daily objectives that you have will determine the destiny and the trajectory of your existence. Mm-hmm. And so true. And I think Doug has captured that in this movie and people deserve to be reminded of it and inspired to go and fulfill it. Yeah, it's a very, very accessible film because it's very accessible messages told by just people who are on fire inside, like yourself. Uh, so it's all very accessible, yeah. very uh, you know, implementable. Um, I do want to circle back to Paul Bragg, who I was not familiar with. I had to do a quick look up of his name. He was instrumental in health food, detoxification, healthy living, positive thinking, way back when, before there were very many people doing this at all. That's pretty simple. Well, he, he helped initiate a thousand health food stores across America to try to get people to have a healthier diet. Jack Elaine, who was a massive influence in America in fitness and health, uh, which when I was two years old, my mom was watching Jack Elaine. I was watching Jack Elaine on TV. Jack Elaine's life, he was a pimple-faced 
kid that was a weakling beaten by bullies as a kid. And he went to a program where Paul Bragg and changed his life and became an enthusiast. And Patricia Bragg, who was the daughter of Paul Bragg, um, ended up being close friends with Jack Lane until he passed. And, and the story of Jack Lane was very similar to mine when I met Paul Bragg and Paul Bragg impacted Steve Jobs and, and, um, you know, Gloria Swanson and the Kellogg Corporation and, and Donald Trump even. I mean, I mean, he, he influenced, I think we counted 139 celebrity people who impacted their health because of him. He was a very inspired guy and very enthused about, you know, living wisely when it comes to, you know, walking and, and, and thinking wisely and, and drinking plus fresh water and breathing deep air and, you know, fresh air. And I mean, things that are common sense that people are just overlooking and eating real foods and not junk. And, and I, I have influenced my life. I'm 67 now and I'm, I'm still going. I've got a very intense schedule. And I think that that's partly was inspired by that, that insight and things he shared with me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive, holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a coworker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate You, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now back to our podcast and back to our guest. Right. You were certainly very fortunate to find that level of mentorship and someone who believed in you and wanted you to, to thrive as well um, at that tender age. You also have another story of meeting someone else who was influential for you. Uh, when I was younger, yeah, the, the, the gentleman on the, on the street. Yeah. yeah, I um, when I was hitchhiking from uh, Houston, Texas, it's an interesting journey. I I left Houston, Texas, on the west side of Houston, and uh, hitchhiked out to first Austin, and there was a chick that I had met on the beach, and I had her contact details, and I I contacted when I got to Austin, 
we had the evening together and we decided to go to the Armadillo Club where Ted Nugent was playing. And this is a 60s rock band kind of thing. And then afterwards we hung out with Ted Nugent in the back. So my first night out hitchhiking across to California was with Ted Nugent. I can't get much better now as far as a rock kid. Then, then I, next night I ended up falling asleep and I got caught in the Piggly, Piggly Wiggly truck and got drunk off in the middle of nowhere and had a rough thing there. But eventually I made it to El Paso, Texas. And when I was hitchhiking through El Paso, Texas, I had a headband on and I had a, I was getting long hair and I had a surfboard with me and an old duffel bag. Looked like some hippie, you know, with a flowered shirt. That was the thing in the 1960, 68, you know. Of course. And all of a sudden, in, in Texas, there were cowboys there, a lot in, in West Texas. And cowboys and surfers weren't the best friends, you know. Right. One, they called them rednecks and whitenecks. And all of a sudden, three of them lined up in front of me in the, on the sidewalk and were going to give me a bit of a challenge. And they lined up. And I didn't know what to do. I, I just started growling and barking like a like a wild animal at them because I, I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't outrun them. They were bigger than me. And I had a surfboard. And so I just acted like a wild animal, which diffused them. Right. And they were like going, this guy's probably on drugs or something, you know. And um, and they moved aside. And there was a guy on the street corner leaning on a lamp who saw it happen and was just laughing. He was, he couldn't even hardly stand up. He was laughing so hard because of the way I handled him. And he comes over to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he said, Sonny, that's the funniest dang thing I've ever seen in my life. You took care of them cowpokes like a pro. I said, well, I'm blessed, sir. They, they, I, I didn't know if they were going to hurt me. He said, uh, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And I said, no, sir. Can I get you a Coca-Cola? And I said, yes, sir. So we went in this little malt shop and on these swivel stools and he said, are you a runaway? And I said, well, sort of. I'm, I, uh, I got a ride to the freeway. I didn't run. And I said, I'm going to California. And he says, well, you look kind of funny out here with a surfboard, but I understand if you're going to California. Are you through with your Coke? And I said, yes, sir. He said, then come with me. I want to teach you something. And there's a part of me that was a little bit hesitant about that. You know, I didn't know this old guy. Right. And it felt a little odd. But I, I, I just figured, okay, I can outrun this guy. So we walked two blocks, another two blocks, up these steps to the downtown El Paso library. And there's a lady there at the front entrance, and he said to her, can you watch this young man's stuff here when we go in the library? And she says, I can, indeed. So I left my stuff there, and that was everything I owned, so I was a little leery about it, but I thought, okay, behind the desk with this lady, she's not going to do anything, no way to do with this. She, she's not going to run away with a surfboard. I went down some steps, up some other steps, sat down at a table. He sat me down at this table. He went off to the bookshelves, came back. He put two books on the, on the table. Then he came and sat catty corner in the corner of the table with me. He was about 62 years old. I, I, I later looked and found, I found out who it was and he was about 62 at the time. And he said, young man, there's two things I wanna teach you. And you gotta promise me you never forget these two things. I said, yes, sir. He said, number one, don't ever judge a book by its cover. It will fool you, young man. He says, you probably think I'm some old guy on the street, some old bum on the street. But young man, I'm one of the wealthiest men in the world. I have everything that money can buy. I got planes and businesses and homes, yachts, you name it, I got it. He says, so don't ever judge a book by cover because it'll fool you. 
I said, yes, sir. And then he put my hand, grabbed my hand and stuck it on those two books he brought from the thing. It was Plato and Aristotle, two great Greek philosophers. And he said, he said, young man, you learn how to read. You learn how to read, boy. And you gain the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom, philosophia. Because there's only two things that nobody can take away from you, young man, and that's love and wisdom. They can take away your possessions. They can take away your the people in your life, but they can never take away your love and wisdom. That's something nobody can take. That's something you have. So you gain the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom, young man. You understand that? Yes, sir. You promise that? Yes, sir. He put those two bookshelves, books on the bookshelves, and then led me out, start, out the street and said, now that's the direction to California. Don't forget what I told you, boy. Now, I didn't know who that guy was till many years later. The man turned out to be Howard Hughes. He was doing an El Paso natural gas deal there for a brewery he was building. Just happened to catch me. Wow. I, when I found that out, it just got chills in my spine. I went, whoa. And I saw the picture of it. And that only occurred because many years later, I found out and met with Natalie Hughes, one of the family members of the, of the Hughes family. We, we puzzled to put the puzzle pieces together. Mm -hmm. But what it was, is he was saying it. Now today, my cufflinks say love and wisdom. I just finished doing a seminar five days long on 200 of the greatest philosophers that ever lived and presented that for five days on the love of wisdom, the wisdom of love. I sign all of my signatures at the end of every email, love and wisdom. So you never know what a little message might do. And I didn't know the significance of that at that moment, really. But I realize now that that was a great contribution in my evolution. So I'm a firm believer that anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel in life. So you want to look back at your life and see how everything is ultimately on the way, not in the way. And everything is a feedback to your authenticity and your mission. Whatever that authentically is, whether it's raising a family, building a business, doing a social cause or doing something of fitness, it doesn't matter. But whatever is most deeply meaningful, most inspiring, most authentic to what your calling is, everything in your life is guiding you to that objective. Look at it through those eyes and you'll be grateful for your existence. And when you do, you'll awaken your executive center, the forebrain, where you'll have foresight, not hindsight, and you'll end up leading your own pathway. We're not here to live in the shadows of anyone else or put people in pedestals or pits. We're here to put them in our heart so we can do a service to them in equanimity and equity so we end up having the fuel of opportunity constantly before us to do something amazing with our own existence. And so I'm a firm believer that we want to hear it. We're, we're here to shine, not shrink, and do something of contribution. And I love doing that. So I, I mean, I do that every day of my life, and it's very inspiring. And I, and some people don't get that until much, you know, matured levels. But once they do, their lives change. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how thoughts become things, and any of those constructs are important principles that people sometimes need to be a good reminder of. Right, right. And I think we need to change the title of this episode to "Radiating Love and Wisdom." Because that's the well, I'm okay with that. I, 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 uh, I can handle that one, but I, I'm a firm believer that the, the essence of our existence is love and wisdom, and, and it's the balance of all opposites. 
And it's it, every everything that's alive is homeostatic. It's trying to bring a homeostatic, so it brings order out of chaos. And even though entropy is chaos out of order, the negentropy, life physics, is order out of chaos. So when we discover the hidden order in our apparent chaos, we evolve forward, and we we do extraordinary things. So, and that's basically chaos and in in disorder just means missing information. You know, when we're infatuated with something. We're conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides. When we're resentful to something, we're conscious of the downsides, unconscious of the upsides. But when we love something, we're conscious of both sides. And so if we ask questions that make us fully conscious and we can integrate our unconscious and conscious at the same time and see the pairs of opposites simultaneously, as Wilhelm Wundt described, we liberate ourselves from the chaos and discover the hidden order and the meaning and we extract the meaning out of our existence and we gain fuel of opportunity to do something extraordinary. And we do something that's contributive and something inspiring and exemplary. And I'm a firm believer that everybody has a great leader and a great inspirer inside. They just haven't woken it, wakened it up. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and yes, as you said, you teach this continually. And your website has not only a free class, but it has all of your online classes on it, which is just amazing. Um, I know you also teach something you call the Demartini Method. Can you tell about that just just briefly? Yep. The Demartini Method is something that started uh, back when I was 18. Uh, I had a, when I was 18 years old, I was I was just starting to read literally 18 to 20 hours a day. Once I learned how to read, I never stopped. And I, my mom asked me for my 19th birthday, a few weeks before my 19th birthday. She said, said, what do you want for your birthday? It's coming up and for Christmas because it's coming up. So I was born on Thanksgiving Day. My birthday's on Thanksgiving this year. Oh, that's wonderful. My, my, girlfriend's, my girlfriend's flying in from Turkey to join me on that day. So it's going to be great. Flying in from but, Turkey to but, have um, Turkey. <laughs> pardon me? Flying in from Turkey to have some turkey on your birthday. Exactly. Right. Yes, exactly. But um, so it's right before my birthday. And she, she turns to me and she said, son, it's coming up on your birthday and it's Christmas. What do you want for your birthday and for the holidays? What do you want for your, for your birthday? Mm-hmm. And I said, mom, I want the greatest teachings on the face of the earth by the greatest minds who ever lived. And she looked at me and she said, are you sure you don't want a T-shirt? That's, I was thinking more like a T-shirt. I said, no, mom, I want the greatest teachings on the face of the earth by the greatest minds who ever lived. And she goes, okay, let me see what I can do. She called her brother, Uncle Ralph, who was a, once a professor at MIT, chemist, physicist, very bright guy, mathematician. And he, um, he has a gift. I don't know where he got him. I don't know if it was his library or how he did it. But he sent two giant six by six by six foot wooden crates on a flatbed truck down to the house. And they unloaded them onto the ground. And with a crowbar, I went out there and opened them up and carried as many as I could carry into the room, my room, and filled my room with thousands of books with a little yoga mat in the middle to, to face the sun for the sun salute in the morning. And I just went to work. I just started devouring. And one of the books, there were two that stood out immediately. 
But one of the books was The Discourse on Metaphysics by Leibniz, the German philosopher, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. And in the very beginning, in the very first chapter, very first page, very first paragraph, he basically said something that Voltaire attacked in Candide in his satire on him, but said that there is a divine perfection, a divine beauty, a divine love, a divine order, a divine perfection that no human being could improve upon. And when human beings and they realize that and they understand that, their lives are changed forever. And I don't know why, I just I started bawling. I started reading and I said, something about this is something so meaningful. He said, we can't improve it. There's a hidden order in things. Mapertius, the mathematician, later said that there's a, a, a law of efficiency and there's an underlying efficiency that we don't know. And when we finally come to the realization of how things are really structured, not as we hope or wish they were, wonder they're structured, but they are structured, there's a magnificent hidden efficiency in the universe. So that inspired me. And I said, I want to know what that is. And I want to make a system to help people get that. Because I just know that that will change people's lives. Yes. And then I came across another book that began that was The Principles of Quantum Mechanics by Paul Dirac, the Nobel Prize winner on the person who created particles and antiparticles. And when I read that, and I'm talking about, I had to go get a specialized math symbol book. Uh, uh, I had to go through a whole bunch of stuff to read paragraph by paragraph this book. It was a tedious book. Um, But when I got through that book, and I went through that. It said, if you take a particle and an antiparticle, a positron and electron, a positive negatively charged particle and put them together, you can make light. And I thought in my naivety at that time, because I was just starting on this journey, I thought, I wonder if you took positive and negative emotions and put them together at the simultaneity uh, and have, would you have enlightenment? And Wilhelm Wundt, one of the earliest uh, psychologists said that simultaneous contrast awaken fullest potential. And so I started on with those two pieces of work and started going down the rabbit hole in psychology and sociology and theology and philosophy and physics and mathematics and neuroscience. And I, I taught neurology and any, anything I could get my hands on to try to figure out how to maximize those integrative states in the mind. I found out that the brain is an integrative structure. It takes sensory information that are monosynaptic reflexes that are black and white and gradually with associations turns them into gray and integration. So we have at the very top, unconditional love. At the very bottom, we have impulse and instinct for survival. And so the brain is doing what it can to help us love and to have wisdom. And so we just said, how do I maximize the brain function? So that's why I want to know, how do I maximize brain function? The, so the brain actually creates this- It's an integrator. It's an integrator. The brain's an integrator. As you go up the brain, you get more associative fibers, interneurons, right. which then allow you to have gray instead of black and white and allows you to have love instead of emotions that are polarized. So the brain is doing everything it can to maximize our potential. It's amazing. So there it is, the human human behavior specialty there and how to create that neuroplaxis. I can't even speak. The neuroplasticity that we need to form new neurons and neural pathways, right? Did you set out to understand the brain or did you set out to understand the behavior that creates that? No, I, when I, I wanted to study neurology by the time I was in professional school, I was taking neurology classes and I was and and the teacher said, here's the textbook. And, and I, um, I remember the very first test I took with Dr. Nash, we had 50 questions. You get two points per question. 
And um, and I I didn't read the textbook. I read ten textbooks. I devoured ten of them. And so when you put the answers there, I it said A B C D or E. You know, you have to pick an answer. And I would say E according to so and so. F outdated has no application. Uh, G I put uh, I I put all these answers on there, and the guy failed me. And I went into his class and I brought in about 40 something books on neurology. And I said, you can't fail me. He's like, you can't answer questions like that. I said, I'm going to challenge every one of those answers. And I'm going to confront you on that because who are you to tell me I can't do that? And I basically confronted him and I held every one of those answers and I showed him that they were accurate answers. And he looked, he says, I thought this was a joke. I said, sir, I didn't come here to go to school for a joke. I came here to learn. And I came to learn and master neurology. And he said, I misunderstood what you did. And then three weeks later, he had a, an affair with a with one of the girls in the class, and he got caught for it. And he got he got uh, temporarily suspended. And he said, John, can you teach the class? So I started teaching neurology back when I was 23, and it was fantastic. I got to do the neurology class. So I've been studying neurology since 23, pretty well before that, but I, I, I love neurology. Oh my goodness. Well, and of course the, the classes that you teach now are not medical classes or perhaps I'm mistaking that, but it seems like they're not medical classes. They're not for people in medical school. So how do you teach just the normal people like me? this neuroplasticity well i i i do have i have a lot of psychiatrists psychologists medical students and chiropractors and osteopaths i still do classes on on uh, physiology i just finished it yesterday literally last night at nine o'clock i just did a i wrote a textbook on a thousand health conditions and the psychology underlying them and we just had health professionals on it so i still teach those classes yeah. Oh. But I also teach classes to open publics. I, I don't. I, I mean, I still do health professional. I still talk at, at universities sometimes. But I. But I. I'm also doing the public talks. So I've got. It doesn't matter. You know, anybody that listen to me, I'll. I'll do presentations for. I'm. I'm grateful for. <laughs> I've talked to five year olds and twelve year old kids in school about holding on to their dreams, and I've talked to uh, you know astrophysics professors. I, it doesn't matter. Because I, I, I believe that if you if you really study really hard and you really learn your stuff and make sure you got something worthy to say, people are, are wanting to learn it. So oh, it all applies to human behavior. Yes, it all applies to human behavior and and really elevating it and mastering it, mastering our own behavior. That's probably the biggest challenge that we could have is mastering our own mind. Um, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're teaching, oh, I'm just saying that every. Go, go ahead. Oh no! Just I was saying, when you're teaching people, where do you, where do you have them start? Like, where does someone start with this? Very simple. Every human being lives by a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most to least important in life. That's unique and fingerprint specific to them. And finding out what that hierarchy of values is first. Because whatever's highest on your value, you spontaneously act upon. You don't need external motivation to get you to do it. And whatever's low on your value, you need external motivation to get you to do it. I, I spontaneously research and teach, no problem. But you'd have to motivate me to cook or drive. I haven't, I haven't driven a car in 32 years. I haven't cooked since I was 24. 
you know, I live on a ship. I'm, I'm right now in Jamaica, right outside the windows, Jamaica. Oh. I'm sitting here in a, in, a, in a tropical thing on my ship. And, and I don't do anything. I delegate everything. All I do is research, write, t- travel, and teach. That's it. Nothing else. But I learned a long time ago, if you're not doing the highest priority things and you're doing low priority things, you're going to devalue yourself. If you do the highest priority things, you're going to spontaneously be inspired every day to do what you love doing. So first, identify what your values are. Find out what's really meaningful so you're not subordinating to the herd mentality and barring visions of other people and trying to be somebody you're not. Why be second at being somebody else when you can be first at being you? So that's the first place. Find out what's really, truly, intrinsically important to you so you can start structuring your life by priority and giving yourself permission to have an intrinsic drive to do it so you don't need motivation because motivation is a symptom, never a solution for human beings. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a symptom. Mm-hmm. I don't need motivation to do what I do. And anything I need motivation to, I delegate. I delegate to somebody else who would love to do that. They're inspired to do what I want to delegate. And then I get on to doing what I love to do and doing it in a way that serves people. So there's sustainable fair exchange and compensation. So I can generate the income to pay for all the delegations. So I'm liberated instead of bogged down doing something of got to's and have to's and must and shoulds and supposed to's and have to's and all the imperatives that most people trap their lives with. They're living by duty instead of inspired design. So I'm a firm believer in prioritizing your life. And that's the first place to start, finding out what you really value, finding out what's really, truly meaningful to you, and then structuring it and finding a way of doing that in a way that serves people and solving problems for humanity, doing that. That is powerful and liberating. Yes. Wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Wonderful. So, um your classes are all available online. Um, of course, you do events and travel and do all kinds of... And thank you so much for being on this podcast. I realize that this is um, very small potatoes in terms of all of the things that you have going on. And I do appreciate your time to be here. And uh, I do want to direct um, our listeners to your website, which is drdemartini.com. All of your upcoming events, your master class... Um, all of your online courses, they're all here on your website. Um, and then, of course, the film, How Thoughts Become Things, is available online. And now the book, which is available wherever you get books. So is there anything that you feel we have left uncovered, unsaid, that you would like our audience to know? Well, whoever's out there who's listening... You know, the magnificence of who you truly are, the real authentic ontological being that you exist as, is more powerful, more profound, more magnificent than any imposed fantasies that you might try to take on. So you want to give yourself permission to shine from that authentic self and have the courage, the heart, to be yourself in a world that wants you to fit in, stand out. You can't make a difference fitting in. You can only make a difference standing out. So have the courage to allow what your intuition and inspirations are yearning to express in the unique contribution you have. And don't try to please all the people around you by subordinating to them. You can fulfill their lives by inspiring them with your service. It's unique. But don't 
shrink. Because, you know, as, as uh, the denial of death by Ernest Becker, the textbook, he talked about conforming to the masses instead of actually being an individual hero. You, 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 will, you will make a difference. If you're the misfit and you're the square peg in a round hole and you, you do something that's meaningful and inspiring, you may be ridiculed, you may be violently opposed, but you will eventually be self-evident. There's a gentleman here that I was having uh, dinner with the other night who created gene therapy in the 80s. He was ridiculed, he was opposed, they were shut down, they did this. But on the front cover of November edition of Scientific American, it's now being acknowledged as one of the great contributions and two Nobel Prize winners coming out of it. And all, all I know is that he did not give up on his dream. Inside you is a yearning to do something extraordinary. Allow that to be more powerful than any obstacle. I always say there's nothing mortal that can interfere with an immortal visionary. Be a mortal visionary. Create your legacy. Do something meaningful. And don't sit there and be second at somebody else. Be first at being you. And watch what happens. Amazing stuff will automatically. People places, the, people places things, ideas, and events in your life start synchronizing around you to help you fulfill authenticity. The whole world is helping you become you. The real you, not the false you. That's that's beautiful advice. Thank you so much for that. I feel like that was really speaking to me, but uh, I know that it's going to be very helpful for everybody who's listening right now. And th Dr. Demartini, once again, thank you so much for being here with me. And I, I just wish everybody could get a little bit of what you have to offer. So I would advise everybody to read your books, look at your blog, follow you on social media and go to your website drdmartini.com Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on The Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.